He's hold it. Straight in for Rory McIlroy. Shane Lowry is an open champion. Tiger completes one of the greatest comebacks in Masters history. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode on the Talk Birdie to Me podcast. Competitive golf returns this week, so anyone that has the opportunity to play in the coming days, best of luck. And also, our delivery of Crested Clothing from Druids Golf is expected very soon, so that would also be sent out before the end of the week. This week on the podcast, we are joined by professional golfer Brendan Lawler. Brendan talks about his rapid rise, joining the EDGA, and his role as an ambassador, and really trying to help the game grow and get more support and funding for it to reach its fullest potential in the coming years. So without further delay, here is that chat. Hi everyone, welcome back to the podcast. Today we're joined by professional golfer Brendan Lawler. How are you keeping, Brendan? Not too bad, Shane, yourself. How are you? Oh, very good, thanks. Keeping busy, back playing a lot of golf, so it's great to sit down and have a chat with you today. Has to be done, has to be done. It's great to be back. And how's life with you? You're back on the course and are you playing a lot at the moment? Yeah, keeping well, doing um, trying to keep in with a good bit of practice, doing a lot of range work, a bit of putting. Uh, I'm actually playing a lot of rounds at the minute with a few of the lads and stuff just to try and just try and keep things ticking over and, and just keep prepared for the for the future and hopefully there's a few events popping up and stuff. And do you have any events lined up or do you have any concrete plans at the moment? Yeah, so um, there's a Clutch Pro Tour. There was a series of seven events. So I've entered two of them, one next week in Sunningdale and then I've entered another one in August. So that's keeping me busy. <clears throat> the disability calendar will start probably around October. And then we have October, November, December, pretty full on. So um, the COVID put a wee bit of a spanner on the works, but sure, at least we're, we're going to get out and play a few tournaments this year. It's great to see so many events, you know, come up now, like the Clutch Pro Tour and different things like that to get golfers back ready. Would you say your game's shaping up in the right direction for next week? Yeah, like I'm playing well. I'm happy to be sort of getting invites to them events because you're playing against good caliber of players. And um, obviously you're not going to win. Like I'm, I'm still representing disability golf as well as I can. And hopefully people are looking on and taking an example and hopefully they can inspire to start playing and feel like they can compete at that level and don't let anything hold them back and stuff. So I'm looking forward to going out there and on next. It starts on Tuesday. So Pro-Am Tuesday and main event on Wednesday. You mentioned there representing disability golf. And that's something I wanted to ask you was, Golf can be such a selfish sport. Everyone's playing for themselves. It's a one-man team. But you've really taken it that golf is more than just you and you representing yourself, that you are really trying to grow the EDGA and disability golf. How did you or did that come about? Was it always something that you really wanted to push and push and to reach its fullest potential? Yeah, like definitely now I, I'm trying to push it and other golfers are pushing it too as much as we can. Like I'm only playing disability golf the last two years, so... It's still pretty fresh to me, but where it's gone in the last two years and, and seeing visions of where it could go, it's so, it's, it's unbelievable. And um, I played amateur golf my whole life, able-bodied, um, played with Dundalk, senior cup panels, and I never saw myself as any different, to be honest. And, and I thought I could compete at that level and was competing. And then one day my auntie just found disability golf and I thought it was a road I could go down and, and it was just... I never looked back since I went down. It's just been quite, it's open doors. I never think it'd open. You talked there about the doors that it's open and getting into golf for you started with like many other Irish people and pitch and putt. How did you enjoy those days and the transition from pitch and putt to the full rounds? Pitch and putt was great crack. I, I loved it. But um, 
again, like I started playing pitch and putt with just a friends group. We spent summers down practicing and practicing and and we were all we were all in a little club called Shannon Rock and full of great players, really, really good pitch and putt players. And that brought you on to competing like Leinster's and All Ireland's and all, and that sort of stuff. So uh, I competed in a few All Ireland's and a few Leinsters. I won two All Ireland's and one Leinster in the end, which was it was so fun. Like them days where you could go out and shoot one under one round and just shoot like thirteen under the second. So it was uh, there was you could shoot any scores in pitch and putt, and it really it really honed me when I when I joined golf because I, I joined pretty late. I didn't join until fifteen, so. I was missing a lot of greens, obviously, when I first came around on the scene, and it was so it was nice to rely on the short game so I could get up and down a lot. So it really stood to me. Picking up there on your success in pitch and putt from national to a Leinster level, would you say that you're extremely competitive and bringing that into the pro game? Would you say that competition is something that you love? Oh, I love competition. Like that's what's killing me now in, in COVID. You're not you're not competing against guys and that sort of stuff. You're playing with the lads for I'll play for a tenner here and there, but that's about it. No, I love competitive even from a young age, whether it was tennis, table tennis, football, any sport. And I didn't go half hearted at it. I wanted to try and see how good I could get at the sport that I was playing, and uh, I just loved. I'd, I'd enjoy someone that was better than me to try and get to their level, if you know what I mean. And uh, played football for ages, and then everyone got too big for me, so I had to stop. So, um, no, I, I love sport. All sports I loved and, and the competitive side. It's just, it, there was something when you get in the zone or I don't know what it was. It just it felt, it felt good. Starting out in the full rounds of golf in 18 holes, you talked before that distance was an issue off the tee and you relied, or relied heavily on your short game. Is the gym and uh, strength work something that you've really took to in the last number of years to get that driving distance up? Yeah, like it was... I'd say more technique. I worked a lot on my technique for, for many years. And um, at, at 15 and 16, I was starting to fill out. My shoulders were getting bigger. I was starting to put on a wee bit more weight. So it, re- it really came naturally. And then I spent a few, few years during the summer in the gyms. And it did help. It did really help. But um, I didn't want to get too top heavy because my legs are slightly shorter. And too much weight on the top would, would crush my knees. So I try to keep sort of trimming off and not put too much weight on or too much muscle. But um, no, I just feel, keep working on my technique. And if I'm hitting it out in the middle of the club place every time, I'm, I'm trying to maximise my distance as best as I can. So. Well, you certainly have a knack for hitting it out of the middle. And you talk about representing Dundalk in Senior Cup. And again, I remember reading that people underestimated you and then you were going out beating them on 15 or 16 and they were wondering how did that happen because how did you find those early years when you said playing against able-bodied golfers and people underestimated your ability yeah so like in my own head I felt there was no difference at all because I was playing off low single figures I was playing off guys the same or a little bit better than me so I knew in my own head like it's a level playing field because we're both playing off the same handicap for a reason sort of thing so I was going out with the mentality. I always had a mentality to try and win every match I went into anyway. So I was never going in like, oh, I'm going to lose. Who am I against today? I didn't, I didn't mind who I was against. And I think that stood to me. And obviously, I was always going in as the underdog, which helps as well. Because no one expected me to win matches or to win that. And I think that stood to me. And maybe my, the people I was playing against might have underestimated the talent and, and just... 
and just a bit of pressure and just things didn't go their way and stuff. But um, I've lost my matches as well and many times, so I haven't won them all. But it does, it did stand to me that people underestimated how well I could play. So you talk about developing your game and how golf is something that you're always working at. And after school, you went to the Darren Clark Academy and there was so much golf based in your time schedule there. Would you have said that there was a big improvement in your game in those two years? Yeah, it was like I was coming out of school, literally not knowing what I was going to do. I was sort of, I was, I just hit a slump sort of thing. And what am I going to do next? At I was 18, 19 years old. And actually my auntie found a Darren Clark school and, and said, would I like to go? And I did. And it was the best two years ever spent, like made some lovely friends. And I think I went in off four and came out off two and, it wasn't a massive change, but you're playing golf every day and um, the practice areas of facilities were second to none. So it was, it was a necessary two years that it was really good time to sort of time to work on your game and, and find where you were sort of level wise with the other guys. And how was that experience in terms of developing off the course too? Would you said that your attitude or there was any other kinks improved in those few years? Yeah, mental side of the game got a lot better because um, I was very fiery at the start with Still am, kind of. When things aren't going anyone's way, they're sort of a wee bit fiery. But I used to lose the head and the interest very quick. And um, we had coaches like Andy Peoples and Stuart Bickerstaff that, that just didn't focus all on golf, but at the mental side as well, which is nearly more important than the golf side when you get to a certain level. So it, was, it did help big time. And just course management as well. You were going in and... I didn't really know much about course management. I was hitting driver everywhere and, and just learning little things like that about the game, it, it did stand to me. And you mentioned previously your aunt and how she researched the uh, Darren Clark School and then found out about the EDGA and you joined that tour. And we talked about people underestimating your ability already, but did you underestimate the ability of the people on that tour when you went out to Portugal that first time, just expecting that you were going to breeze the field? Yeah, 100%. Like you're literally you're going from playing against scratch golfers around your own area to not knowing the capability of a disability golfer because people might think of a disability golfer, oh, he's he's not great or he's a good player, but you can beat him if you're a single figures. But no, that wasn't the case. These guys were unbelievable. Like the top end of disability golf, you're talking people off plus two, scratch, really, really high standard players and if you go into a tournament underestimating the talent, you're not going to perform as well as you can. And that's just what happened to me the first day. And this, to be honest, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I knew how good these guys were after the first event. And I was never going to be that complacent again going into a tournament. So I learned a few lessons that week. And I, I think I came fifth that week, which, which wasn't bad, but I knew I could do so much better. And, and it was probably the most learning curve I ever got from around the golf. Well, you certainly did learn moving on from that. And you had a number of wins in the weeks to follow, if I remember correctly. What did that do for your confidence or to set right into the scene? Yeah, so I think a few weeks later, I went to Troya and won Troya Trophy by, by I think it was six or seven shots. But um, then I just, I went to tournaments focusing on myself and not other people. And I think that was the, the main key to winning events. Like, I knew I could go out and shoot low scores. The courses are slightly bit shorter than you'd play in like amateur events in Ireland or playing about, yeah, but six, five to six, seven. So they're not as long as, as most courses in Ireland, but 
they're tight, so you have to be straight off the tee. But no way, went in just with a different attitude after the first event, and I knew I could compete at a high level in disability golf. I just had to find, you know, I just had to find something in the mental side to get me over the line, and it's it's worked since. So hopefully we can keep going. And you've had great success to date, but you talked about your amateur events in Ireland and then going to the EDGA. How did you find that change in environment there? changing that kind of competition setting yeah like there's a massive change you know yourself in amateur events in ireland it's, it's very very competitive and people are trying to beat each other and, and every player is any player could win the disability golf there's so many good players but at events not all the good players go to the events so there might be say 10 players that have a chance of winning the tournament or, or 12 players which is nice like it's it's good to know that too because you know you're in with a shout to win when you go to an event which is nice to know but um there's a competitive side and there's like a there's like a health side of disability golf like both sides are are very very important so the great thing about it is there's there's a gross and net a staple for and a wheelchair category so there's so many categories in disability golf whether you want to compete at a high level whether you want to play for fun whether you want to make friends like there's so many fantastic sides to it which is which is really really good too winning has become something that you're accustomed to and you've had a lot of success in the last number of years and most notably in the eg or edga scottish open last year the g golf knockout and the german disabled open just what are your memories of those weeks or what are your kind of standout things that clicked in and you got to over the line those in those tournaments yeah so oh the scottish open was very special to me that's probably my biggest win to date it was the very first integrational event with the european tour so we were like the disability golfers were a team we were sort of talking in the locker room and stuff like like we need to just not put on a show but not embarrass ourselves either so try and shoot a score that's presentable not two scores maybe one score whatever it is and um, the major thing was slow play. Keep, we were talking to Keith Pelly before, and um, the biggest worry was slow play. But we weren't slow. Like We got through in four hours on the European tour course, and we went out slightly earlier than the, than the tour players, but that was, it was one of the best experiences of my life, to be honest. It was unbelievable. From the success that you've had, looking back now and you reflect on that great memory in Scotland, for example, but when was it that you realised that your game was at such an elite level and that you were always going to be contending at the top end of the leaderboards? I thought probably from the first event, because like as I said, playing against your Keenan Rafferty's, your own Murphy's, like such good club members, it spurs you on to try and compete against them. And when you knew you could be close to their level, you knew you could compete at this level. So I, every time I just tried to bring my game, I just felt like I was in my home club playing against the guys, trying to shoot around my handicap, and I knew it wouldn't be too far away. So that's when I sort of, after the first event, I think three over won it for two rounds or something like that. And I knew that um, I like to know what wins events to sort of spur me on for the next one. So I got, it was, a, it was definitely a taster to what was to come. And it's been great for you that you've had your dad who's on the bag for you to share the success with. So when you mentioned there that the Scottish Open was the first integrated event, how special was it to share it with your dad and to get over the line? Yeah, it was unreal. Actually, dad didn't carry for me in the Scottish Open. Of course, my luck. He, he carried every other event. So we had a lot of success, thank God. But it's nice to have a father figure on the bag. And um, 
he's very he's he's a lot of knowledge of the game and also he can keep me calm he knows me the best and he can keep me calm when the lid's sort of hopping off the the pan there so that's the main thing no he's very very good he sort of lets me get on with what what i have to do he does my yardages and just his hit the shot. Doesn't get involved too much, but gets involved at the right time. You mentioned there about your dad, and I suppose for to make a successful golfer, you have to have a great team around you also. And it became time for you to turn pro last year. Who did you consult that decision with, or how did that come about for you? Yeah, so there was actually a lot of talks. I had, a, I had an interview with Peter Finnan from Irish Golf Magazine. It was, about, it was about three or four months before I turned pro. And... Like disability golf was getting big, but there was no money in it. And events you had to pay for yourself. You had to travel to all these events under your own pocket. And it was becoming very difficult, to be honest. And the way disability golf was going and and a lot of the players from different countries were sort of getting sponsorship and helping them travel and all that sort of stuff, which was huge. And it's something I needed. And I thought being an amateur was fantastic. Playing golf with your club was fantastic. But... Turning pro was something I had to do to sort of kick on in my career and, and help me. Like, you need the support to get to the next level in disability golf. And, and um, chatting with dad, whether to turn pro, I had to talk with Peter as well. And then Mark from Modest Golf approached me, and, and I just had to do it after that. It, was, it was, would have been silly not to. Mark and Modest Golf are certainly doing some incredible work for young golfers across Great Britain and Europe and Ireland even. So how great have they been for you in the support that I know they've such a young stable of golfers. It's exciting times for you and the team to be a part of. Yeah, like to be honest, modest signing me was it was the biggest highlight of my life so far, to be honest. Not just for my golfing side, but it gives other disability golfers a it shows them that there's light at the end of the tunnel, that there's there's opportunities out there, even though there's no prize money yet. And I think that was the biggest thing because I I think two guys were signed on to management teams since this. So modest, even even for ladies golf, inclusion and all in like their torn to ISPS Hand the World Invitational that was a men's and ladies event. So they're changing the game in so many ways. And for them to sign me, it was truly incredible. Like it's not that they had to, but it just goes to show that the differences they're making in the game is, is quite remarkable. They've done so much to help you and push you and, and excel in your area. But also, is there any other Irish pros that have taken you under their wing or given you advice that we talked there was like Robin Dawson, for instance, had a great practice round in Lynch last year with Paul Dunn and Padraig Harrington, and he learned from them. Is there any standout moment for you? Yeah, a big standout moment is um, I played the World Cup of Golf in Australia in 2018. It was like a disability international against the disability Australians. And we arrived on the Monday after the Australian Open. And I had I was talking to Shane Larry and Paul Dunn and asked me to join them for nine holes. And, and just that experience alone was incredible. Playing with, it was felt like two Irish guys were sort of taking you under the wing and showing you the ropes. Just, obviously, I'm not competing on their level, but for, but for them to bring me out for a practice round, and make you feel like you were good enough to join them. It just felt really, really nice. Robin said that he had nerves that day in La Hinch. How was it for you? Did you feel any pressure to perform in front of them? Oh, I didn't play well that day, to be honest. <laughs> it didn't go too well. I was, I was quite, there's something, there's something different about playing like your own sort of Irish players. 
I wouldn't mind playing with someone else. But no, um, they were just having a crack. Like the lads are bang on. They're 100%. Like Shane was very good to me after that as well. He, um, he set me up with Strix and stuff and all that sort of crack. So they were really, really good to me. Since uh, since I met them in Australia, the Irish people there's always so far since I started been t- chatting to all the golfers is great feedback and how everyone pulls together and helps each other. But has the Golfing Union of Ireland or what's going to be Golf Ireland next year? Have you received any support from them or do they kind of guide you in to plan your year or any help off the course? Yeah, because um, disability golf is still very fresh in Ireland. Like apart from two years ago, literally no one knew what it was or didn't know how big or small it could get. But I had a few meetings with the guys from GUI and they were so helpful. When I went to Australia, they, they helped me out with stuff. They gave me Irish gear. They treated me like a panel member, which was the support they gave me was incredible. And then um, with lessons and stuff, I started going to Neil Manship and all that sort of crack. So yeah, the GUI have done really, really, for, they're starting to come along with inclusion and let me have access to Karen House and all that sort of stuff, which is it's incredible. Never thought anything like that would happen. It's great to see so much work being done. And as you said, you're trying to press the game as it's so fresh in the last number of years. But to reach the top five in the world rankings, how amazing have you taken time to reflect on that feat to date and how you are one of the most recognised golfers in the world? Yeah, like I don't think about that too much because my my eyes are number one spot. I, tr- I really want to get to number one and... Number three and number four is fantastic, but it's not the same as number one. <laughs> so um, I won't stop till I get there. I'm going to keep going. And, and um, I know it's a massive achievement how far I've came now, but I'm just going to keep going. I don't, I don't really look back on what I've done. I just want to keep moving, get, keep that ball rolling, see what I can achieve, not just for myself, but for other people as well. And just, I know it could get really big. Like COVID put a spanner in the works there. Like we had, uh, I think there was five, I think it was four European tour events uh, scheduled for this year that we would have been taking part in and they were they were knocked out. So hopefully the ball can keep rolling. Keith Pelly is a massive advocate for the game and he's supporting it so much. So when when things start getting back to normal, I think it will start from where it left off. You talked there about growing your own personal goals and trying to be the best player that you can be. But off the course, you're an ambassador for ISPS Handa. You're an ambassador for EDGA Golf. You take so much time out to talk about it and how ambitious you are and you want it to grow to reach its fullest potential. Do you find that as a distraction or consuming when you're off the course? No, I, I definitely think it's a, it's a motivator for me because, because there's no um, money in disability golf. Like Sponsors are helping me out and I don't want to let them down. I want to go out and represent the best I can because they're putting their money and time into me I want to give as much of my time to them, whether it's in interviews, whether it's winning tournaments, speaking highly of the game. There's so many ways you can represent a brand and especially ISPS Handed, what they represent, not just for disability golf, but for disability sport in general and, and normal sport, the power of sport is truly incredible. They sponsor so many events. Did you think that you would get the reaction you've got to date? You talk there about the reaction of others, companies, you get your own sponsors. Did you think it would grow as fast as it has? Or Keith Pelly, as you previously mentioned, play such a big role? Did you think there'd be such a buy-in? Uh, knowing the talent of what this what disability golf can bring, 
it should be something that climbs really, really fast. But it's a game, what we're just waiting on now is more and more elite players because Key Pelly has ambitions for a world tour by 2021. And um, you probably, probably needed at least 50 players that are competing on roughly the same level for that to happen. So I'd say there's about 20 to 30 at the minute and it's not too far away. So if them opportunities start rising and, and there's more and more, like if there's money there for people to come out and play, they're, it's going to motivate them more to come out and play and, and try and compete at that high level, try to get to number one, whatever it is. A lot of people have their own goals, but I think that, that'll be the final goal. And obviously the Paralympics will be the final goal as well. That'll be incredible. You are very passionate about growing this and getting more and more people into the game. What advice would you have for those young golfers who want to follow in your footsteps? Be yourself, like go out to your golf club and get a wee group of friends that you like to play with. Hit different shots. Just go out and play for fun. Don't take it too serious because when you get to a certain level, there's so much time where you're taking golf serious and it's nice to enjoy a few games of golf and, and that's a part of the development as well. Just enjoy what you're doing and don't worry about anything else. Golf certainly got to a serious level for you last year when you teed it up on the Challenge Tour in the ISPS Hand the World Invitational in Galgarm Castle. How nice was that to tee it up on a challenge or in a Challenge Tour event in your home country? Yeah, like it was, it was fun. It, it just the standard was incredible. I played at Gary Stahl that day. I think he won two times on the European Tour or something. But the talent they, them guys have is unreal. I, I actually learned a lot from them. It's just... They plot it round. It doesn't look like they're scoring, but he, I think he shot six or seven under the first day, and I told he was level par. It's not mental like that. They just, they just get around so easy. It's very weird. But I, um, I missed the cut. I didn't play too well, but again, it was an incredible experience. And um, modest golfer supporting it, and it was just, it was so good. It was nice to compete sort of at that level, and I'm obviously I'm not near that level, but uh, it was fun. It was fun. It was an event that got worldwide traction with the male and female field. And again, it was a challenge tour event. It was something that you hadn't played in before. How was your preparation for that week or did you alter anything? Yeah, so I actually, I turned it into sort of a fun week. Um, the family were coming down. It was something, it was something new. So I, I was practicing a lot. I was playing a lot of golf. So uh, my girlfriend came down, mom and dad, and my brother and his girlfriend came down and loads of family, friends and stuff. So I, I turned it into something that wasn't going to happen again, say. Something that it was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, so take the most of it. And I didn't play too well the first day. I think I was 9 or 10 over the first day. But I shot 2 or 3 over the second day in Galgorm, which I was happy enough about. And even taking that away from it, like I think I was top 25 in the second day of scores. So it was, I was really, really delighted with how I played the second day. and. It was a fun week. I didn't go in with high expectations, so I didn't come out disappointed. It was just, it was a nice week. It was great to have such a good week and be part of something so positive. And you talk about the takeaway from it that Gary, for instance, was just plotting his way around the course. But since then, has there been any kind of advice or is there anything that you took away from it in terms of altering your practice or how you do prepare for your events? I know, unfortunately, there hasn't been much events to prepare for recently, but going forward. Yeah, no, like oh, your routine is very important. Um, every, every week you go out, I try to prepare like I'm at a tournament. I'd sort of hit my balls on the range, do a few chips, do a few putts, and then go out and play my round of golf. 
come in, have food, whatever it is. So I try to keep the routine pretty basic everywhere I go. If I go to, you might have different starting times in Belgium or France, wherever you go. But I try and keep to sort of the same routine in what I do, even whether it's hitting wedges first to nine to eight to seven to drivers last, because it's all repetition in golf. And I just, I try to keep it the same way with my practice as well. Going on from Gallagher and that week on the Challenge Tour, you did get a chance to implement some of the strategies in for your own game. And you played in the Australian All Abilities Championship just before Christmas. Just sum up that week for us, or how great of an experience was it down there in the good weather? Yeah, so Australia's happened the last two years now, and it's, that's really where Disability Calf has kick-started. There's a guy called Christian Hamilton. that um, He's a massive influencer on, on disability sports, and he pushes it so, so much. We were playing in between groups at the Australian Open. Uh, again, thinking we'd slow things up, and, and we didn't, which was cool. And... He, he just believes in it so much and even in Australia, there's so many talented golfers and it's unreal. But I know I love Australia. It's, uh, it's one of my favourite events of the year. Unfortunately, I, only, I, I had a one-shot lead this year going into the last round and I lost by a shot to get into a playoff. So it was a wee bit sickening, but again, it was such a fun week. Crowds there enjoying the atmosphere it was so fun you said there being a bit sick in that it ended up going from a first to a third place finish but would again mentioning robin dawson he says that every week is different and reacting do you look back eventually that it is a positive week finishing third or do you just see every finish as a difference because you slipped from first any events like that i see as a positive because we're so lucky to be in that event so any chance that we get to promote the game and to be honest it doesn't matter where we finish. I just, I don't want to lose everything. I don't want to lose. So that's what's wrong with me. So, but getting into these events is, um, that's the winner. It's getting in to promote the game, to sort of set us up for the next year, to bring us back, maybe to the European Tour events, PGA Tour events, uh, President's Cups. It's just like a cycle that we're trying to make permanent, if you know what I mean. The following week then there was, you went from competing as an individual to the team event. How was that experience for you? Yeah, so the second week in Australia is always a funner week. Um, we get to stay in the crown, so you do a bit of casinoing and stuff, so it's actually very fun. Um, it's a week where you can let the hair down, have lovely food, enjoy yourself. Um, it's not as serious. It's more of like a, a promotional thing that, um, that the Australians against the internationals. Again, you're playing in the best courses in the world. We played Royal Melbourne this year, uh, which was second to none the greens were unbelievable played off the same tees as the pros crowds watching like you can you couldn't write it it's it's so nice i know you said that it was a little more laid back and it's more of a promotional kind of fun week but how did you find the difference between individual and team events do you enjoy the team atmosphere or do you just like knowing that playing by yourself it's how you perform is going to define your result at the end of the week no i enjoy the team i, I enjoy the team play because I feel I play a lot better because you're not you're relying on your other partner as well. So if you wing one out of bounds, it doesn't really matter because you're not hitting the next shot. <laughs> oh, but it's way more fun. I love playing because I was playing with a guy called Juan Postigo. He's top five in the world. He has one leg. And me and him get on very well. So when we went out, we just said, let's just have fun. It doesn't matter what we do. Let's just go out and enjoy it. And we won our match and <coughs> we celebrated that night. It was good crack. And 
got to meet Tiger Woods that week as well. So that was the icing on the cake. It was it was truly incredible. The opportunity to meet Tiger Woods is obviously something that you're never going to forget. But how did you find that experience and all the traveling also? Do you enjoy going from country to country? Yeah, I enjoy the traveling because the disability, the disability calendar isn't a full calendar. This would have been the first year that I would have been away, say, 17 to 20 times and treated it like a full year of golf. But before the last two years, I might have been away nine times or, or seven times. So it hasn't been you're sort of preparing weeks in advance for your events, which, which can be a wee bit annoying too but um, the more and more events are being scheduled for the later end of the year I'm starting to look forward to that like it's more of a routine it's hard to get into a routine when you're at home all the time and a practice routine so I'm enjoying to sort of get out and and compete. You were supposed to play in the Golf Sixes event in Belgium this year and the European Tour and that's unfortunately being cancelled but what other events are lined up or is there any more events that you're going to get into now considering that's not going ahead yeah the golf sixes was a shame all right that would have been the first sort of inclusion of disability golfers into that event but again the way it's going hopefully we'll be back in it next year and um, what events i think we might get dubai at the end of the year we had the finale in dubai last year and it was it was amazing weather was deadly course was couldn't have been better so if we can get that again this year, that would be lovely. And then Australia is on too this year. So it's going to be a busy end to the year. But uh, again, COVID put us about it through the whole thing up in the air and not really knowing what we have and stuff. So In terms of looking forward and to 2021, where Keith Pelly had mentioned getting that full EDGA circuit, have you heard any update whether that's going ahead or... Again, with COVID, is it just all been pushed back and up in the air? Yeah, everything's been pushed back for a year. Um, again, if if we start keeping the momentum that we had when this stopped, I'm sure it's not too far away because a lot of the fans are loving it. The European tour players are accepting us as well. So it just is, it's a fit in. I, I feel it's a fit at the minute and it's a demand. Or I don't know what it is, but... I think it's not too far away. Well, Brendan, we covered a lot today. And I just want to say thanks very much for sitting down and chatting. We covered a lot. So thank you very much. And before I do let you go, just got some quick fire questions. Do you prefer links or parkland? Oh, links. Practice on the range or on the course? On the course, yeah. Your best golf memory to date? Oh, playing with Ruby Walsh in the Irish Open Pro-Am was pretty good crack. <laughs> it was fun. And the best Irish player you played with? Uh, Shane Lowry, 100%. And would you prefer to win the Irish Open or Paralympic gold? Oh, there's something about winning in your own country. I'd say the Irish Open. Well, thank you very much. And best of luck with everything go forward. I hope you're back on the course pretty soon. So thank you. Lovely. Thanks very much, Shane. That's it for this week's episode on the Talk Birdie to Me podcast. I would just like to say a huge thank you again to Brendan for his time. It was great to sit down and chat with someone that values the game so much and along with his incredible achievements on the course, the role that he plays off it, trying to grow the EDGA brand and make sure that as many people get into the game of all abilities. So thanks again, Brendan. Chat soon and please talk birdie to me. He's all it. Straight in for Rory McIlroy. Shane Lowry is an open champion. Tiger completes one of the greatest comebacks in Masters history.